Hello and welcome. Anyone who's been to Merchant City Yoga on a Sunday knows how much I love catching up with everyone over a cup of my freshly brewed spiced chai. These Sunday chai sessions really bring everyone together. A true celebration of friendship, community and connection. I want to try and capture some of that magic and share it with you at home. So I've invited some familiar faces from our MCY family to chat with me over a cuppa. I'm affectionately calling them the chai sessions. Pop the kettle on, get yourself comfy and come and join us. James, thank you so Hello, much Julie. for joining me for Chai Session. Got my cup I'm very happy to be here at for the ready. time with my water. Yeah, yeah, it's not quite the same, James, but we'll <laughs> forget it. I've been um, working so, in the garden, so I have. Oh, well, but before we get into our chat, just for anyone who's not met you already, um, very brief introduction. So I met James for the first time back in 2000 and 11 in Mysore in South India where I took some of his yoga philosophy classes and I was a little bit hesitant and a little bit reluctant but what James very quickly did was showed me how practical and relevant the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutra in particular could be in our modern practice of yoga it's not something that had to be completely separate from what we generally think of as yoga these days and so over the years he's been a really regular visitor here to MCY because I was so desperate for people to to hear what he had to share and and to be able to see the gift in these texts. Um, James also teaches on our yoga teacher training program now too and um, starting to help all of us, like I say, see the see the wisdom and and help us to start to to understand how we can work with some of these teachings, with some of these texts, not only in our yoga practice on the mat, but yoga practice off the mat as we go about our daily lives as well. So, James, thank you for joining us. And I thought we'd start the conversation by maybe chatting about um actually from your point of view what do yoga and the teachings of what we might think of as classical yoga philosophy you know the the teachings within the Bhagavad Gita the teachings within the yoga sutra um what what do they have for folks in this kind of time of challenges and change and uncertainty um, well, thank you for a great question, Julie, and your introduction. Um, yes, it's, it's just a small question, James, you know. Well, <laughs> no, I think it's How a great question, but really th this, this is where yoga begins. So yoga begins when we know that we do not know. Yoga is made for times of change, times of uncertainty, times when we feel confused and unsure of ourselves. But Yoga also asks us to kind of recognize and admit that that might be more of the time than we pretend, 
more of the time than we actually often realize or recognize because we're just so busy running along in our habitual patterns that have served us to just get by in life with all of this busyness. But the very beginning of the Yoga Sutra, for example, the first word is utter, which is now or and now. And now what? So now, now, basically it means there's two things this means. One is that now that I know that I do not know. Now that I recognize that my life is not in as much of a state of yoga, of balance and integration and harmony and wellness, as perhaps it could be. And maybe my own thought patterns, my behavioral tendencies, my sense of self and identity, maybe all that has something to do with why I'm not actually experiencing the richness of life to the degree that I could, and perhaps I could do something about it. So once we own up to that reality, that there's this beautiful question that one of my friends, mentors, uses for his ongoing practice. Where am I in this? I'm feeling great. Where am I in this? I'm feeling terrible. Where am I in this? I look out at the world and I see some terrible injustice and it makes me feel angry. Where am I in this? So once we have that recognition that, oh, things are not exactly as I would like them to be. I can't change the world, but I can change the way I meet it. I can change the way I interact with it. And what yoga gives us is a very robust, adaptable, time-tested structure or frame or set of principles to actually help ourselves transform so we can be more balanced and come to a seat of greater dynamic equilibrium. So even as the world continues to change, we'll be able to stay a little bit more centered and enjoy the ride, even when it gets bumpy, even when it gets terrifying sometimes. I mean, not, not knowing and admitting to not knowing is a pretty uncomfortable place to be. This is the thing that, you know, why yoga is so helpful, because I feel like in our conventional education system and the societal norms that we're surrounded by, many people, ne we've never, most of us, I would say, obviously I don't know if this is the case for everybody, but most of us, we've not had a lot of experience of being wrong and admitting that we are wrong and that being seen as a positive thing that's going to facilitate growth and change. I think for so many of us, not knowing or making a mistake or being wrong, they're associated with pain, with being ostracized, with being made fun of, with being punished, with being excluded. And so we've developed almost a phobia of uncertainty. And this is tragic because uncertainty is the truth. Life is uncertain. We never know what's going to happen. Life will change. This we know. So when we develop this resistance to uncertainty and we run away from it, the tragedy, I feel, is that we're running away from the truth. And we can't really be well. We can't really feel settled and secure if we're running away from reality. So what yoga is here for, in my opinion, yoga is here to help us be more relaxed in 
the inevitable comings and goings and ups and downs and changes of life. So yoga offers a very different type of education. Some people, I, 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 some people say, and I say too, yoga is a rehabilitation project. It's a recovery project. We know how to deal with uncertainty. We would not be here if we hadn't done it very, very well for thousands and thousands of generations. So we do have capacity to navigate challenge and uncertainty in difficult times. But I feel that what's happened in recent times is that a lot of the influences that we're bombarded with They've worked to kind of block our access to some of that inner resilience and inner capacity and trained us in ways that have made us somehow a bit weaker and less, less empowered to actually navigate the reality of life. And that's where yoga is so helpful because yoga invites us to develop this different type of relationship with the truth. That rather than be something that, no, I'd rather not look at that, it becomes this juicy, rich, inviting realm that if I actually look into that, sometimes it's really difficult, but when I do work through that, wow, it opens up new vistas and I feel more confident. I feel more relaxed. I do have more space that is easeful and gives me room to maneuver in this reality that I'm part of. So where do you see that the, the kind of the meeting of what is seen as, as yoga maybe in a, in a kind of more modern age where people, they, they turn up their mat bag, their mat, they go to class and, and you know, generally that's a, a physical movement class, that's a yoga yeah. asana class. Sure. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, where these, these concepts and ideas and principles that you're talking about then meet? what what you know the larger population understanding of yoga sure so one thing that i can say is that what i've noticed in in the realm of yoga classes let's say that people could go to there is the and i don't mean to insult anybody by these terms but it's just for the sake of illustration so but there's and there's this is a spectrum and and there's lots of other varieties of what I'm going to mention, but there are two, let's say there's two types of focus that one can find more or less. One is the kind of the yoga instructor who is basically guiding and entertaining the participants in the class. So they are telling what to do. Maybe they're demonstrating what to do, but basically the person in the seat or role of the teacher is basically providing guidance for the people to follow. And this allows the person taking the class to use that practice as a means to escape the pressures and the stresses of the day-to-day. -day. So it's like I'm taking that class, I'm doing that practice, I'm working with those techniques to kind of escape, to kind of check out, to get away from the... Um, habitual concerns to refresh myself but I'm refreshing myself by kind of just trying to anesthetize or try to invite my being into a different vibration so I can just forget about all that for a while then there's another type of presentation the type of class where the teacher is really facilitating 
and active ongoing exploration. So I think these are two stages and we can move between them. We can both be doing, we can do both of them for many, many years of practice. But in this type of class, it's set up to invite the practitioner to explore within the postures or within the technique. So if, for example, I am taking the yoga class or whatever it is that I like to do, doing the exercise, doing the dance class, whatever it might be, I'm doing it to get to escape, to get out of my head. Sooner or later comes the thought, if, for example, I successfully go to yoga class or rock climbing or ballroom dancing, whatever it might be that gets me out of my own shit, my own head, my own travails, if we do that several times in quick succession, pretty much guaranteed is going to emerge the thought, wait a minute, when I do that yoga, when I go to that class and I just follow the prompts and I focus on my breath and I take my awareness to different points and I concentrate in a flowing manner, oh, it feels so good. Why can I not feel like that more of the time? What's the magic about what's happening there? So we're no longer content to just get that relief in the class. We want to actually empower ourselves to be able to feel like that all the time, the rest of the time. So then gets sparked the practitioner's curiosity to become a real student and a real practitioner in the classical sense of yoga, which is to actually become my own teacher by working with the techniques or the um, practices in a way that I can use them to learn about myself what is it so that going back to that question where am I in this I go to this class I follow the prompts the teacher obviously doing a great job because whenever I finish the class in that shavasana posture I feel high and I come out like oh I'm so glad I showed up to class but why do I only feel like that after I do these particular techniques maybe there's some maybe the yoga magic isn't just about doing those postures in that order because i went to the other teachers class and i also felt really good then even though it was very different mm, what's going on here and then i started what's going on here is that actually i'm not falling into some of my habitual like the, the habitual circuits of my mind they get i go on and i get onto a different track when i do this yoga thing and then i'm thinking like mm, how can I invite this the rest of the day? So I think what sometimes happens is that sometimes the question, when the question arises, why am I not experiencing this more of the time? Sometimes to actually confront or face what it would mean to be able to feel like that more of the time is rather intimidating. And Following the yoga teacher is a safe space to get some release and relief. But there's still that urge, that prompting, mm, there's more here. And so some people cannot resist that call. <laughs> the call to adventure, the call to search. What is the truth? Who am I really? Why can I feel like this when I do this practice? And why do I feel like this? when I lapse into certain other habits. Maybe I've got more power than I recognize to influence how I experience the rest of the day. So we start to realize mm, what I'm invited to experience when I follow the prompts in the guided 
entertaining yoga class. It's really inviting me to take a next step, which is how can I become my own guide, my own teacher? How can I learn to be able to see the warning signs when I'm pulling away from the center and likely to fall into habits or ways of being that aren't really gonna bring me to the state that I long for? And so then is often prompted that desire to look in a broader way. And then we can start to how these principles of yoga that are present in the yoga class, I can actually do lots of practical things to help them reach more fully through the rest of the day. Yeah, because we do all fall into that trap, don't we, of associating those feelings with the class, the style of movement that we're doing, the teacher, the space, and you know that that sort of that sense of being able to check out and leave our troubles at the door. Um, whereas, actually, maybe where we want to be heading more or, or getting a little bit more of is this kind of self-agency, self-exploration, self-discovery. Still need to, we still need support and guidance for that, don't Definitely. we? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like yoga is a do-it-yourself job. You know, let's not pretend. Authentic practice is a self-practice. You've got to walk the path by yourself. But satsang, coming together to explore truth and to support each other, is also recognized as it's hugely um, valuable and tremendously helpful. And for most of us, almost a vital part of the practice. But ultimately, it's about becoming independent, becoming all one. So we're alone without feeling lonely because we feel full. And then we were able to give so much more. So one of my friends, she's like, like us, you know, 20 plus years of yoga teaching practice. And um, she was sharing a, a kind of short course on Ayurveda and daily habits recently. And she described her morning practice as a kind of confidential meeting with herself. And Not she was, she, the, the whole description of the daily, it was so beautiful, but the idea that, so rather than being a place where she can check out and forget her troubles, it's a place where she can actually check in. So where am I? And how can I use my time working with breath or meditation or journaling or asana or movement or whatever it might be? How can I use all these different tools that I've developed some facility with and some familiarity with to help me bring myself into that greater balance and equipoise that's going to help me then navigate this day? On this day, my child has these issues that need to be supported, and my spouse has that on the dog's this. On this day, I have a, I have a free day. What, 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 what can I do? Now, this day, I've got to do this. You know, so depending on the different needs of the day and how we and when I check in with myself and have that confidential meeting but to have that confidential meeting if I go into the confidential meeting and I don't really have a firm grip on the different tools in my kit then I'm not going to gain so much confidence by working with them if I don't work with them so skillfully and that's where good support and good guidance is really helpful but once we've had good support and guidance you know traditionally 
the teacher gives the student technique, then we go away and work with that technique hundreds, thousands of times. So we make it our own. And this is for me, like traditional education was like this. We get given material, we get given resources, then we make it our own by that ongoing heartful exploration. And so for me, that's the, this is the, the bridge. It's like the, we can go to the class and we can gain useful insight. We can gain empowering, encouraging, inspiring experience. But then it's up to each of us to then use that in ways that can empower the rest of our day and make us more independent so we can actually deepen our eventual self practice because nobody knows us better, you know, nobody knows our body better than we do. It might not necessarily seem like that at the beginning, but once we start to practice, we, start, we can become our own physician to a much greater degree than maybe we could before. And so we can offset many, you know, people, before we get too out of balance, we can realize, oh yeah, I need to make some adjustment in my diet or in my, in my asana practice, or in, I, need, I, need, I actually need to do more pranayama right now because my energy is a bit low and I need to just, I need more time to digest. Like the world's throwing so much at me. Actually, I do need when I get home to just take 10 or 20 or 30 minutes in silence. Never mind looking at the phone or never mind watching the news. No, there's so much to digest. And when I'm honest about it, I realize that I've evolved from people who had plenty of time to digest compared to what I'm getting. And they weren't eating all the junk food that's being thrown at me by the media and by, you know. So I need to give myself a bit more time and space. So even, even just to trust our own judgment a little bit more, eh? This is, yeah, I mean, this is one of the main aims of yoga practice is to make the individual really an individual in the sense of a person that's no longer subject to division. And how does that happen? Because we trust ourselves, not because we've swallowed some dogma and we are ferociously attached to it, but rather because we are attuned to that intuitive guidance and so we're adaptable but we also trust our own authority so yoga says you are the author of your life so act like it take responsibility and i think you know in in the modern education situation there's a lot of encouragement to not really do that mm. and it can feel very um, for intimidating, forbidding to, to be asked to do that. But one of the beautiful things about yoga is it gives us a support structure to do it that really works. You know, it's been tested for thousands and thousands of years. And when that method was set down in the classic texts, it wasn't a new thing. It was the distillation of things that have been tried and tested for many, many generations. And for sure, these days, we do have certain types of uh, challenge that are a bit different, they're a bit unprecedented, but it's still the human condition. <laughs> and the underlying elements of the challenges that we face are really the same. And it's to do with this relationship to uncertainty and the unknown and our clinging to a limited sense of identity for a feeling of security. So, you know, the world 
of phenomenological experience of manifest reality, it's finite. And we're finite embodied beings, but there's the idea we're also part of the infinite and our soul, our spirit, our essence is part of this infinite. So when we can connect to that part of ourselves that isn't subject to change, it makes our journey through this realm of change that much easier, sweeter. We can enjoy the ride. We can enjoy the experience. We can relax into it because it's not about faith or believing anything. It's like in our own experience, we're connecting to something that is perennially vital, that is perennially full. We, so, know. we know we don't know. Yeah. So um, to access we, that, we have to admit that we don't know and then allow ourselves to experience more than we've ever experienced up to now. And yeah, that's so you started, yeah, sorry, James. You started to answer a question I was going to ask there before I even asked it, which is always really, which is always really good because um, what I was going to say was that for many of us, our kind of what we we hang yoga philosophy on is the classic texts, mm -hmm. usually the Gita and the Yoga Sutra. It's, it's the ones that most people have come across, and so I was looking for you to to kind of make some of the connections there from those classic texts to to some of the things that you're talking about there because because it's all rooted in there sure but just to kind of like you say make that that kind of connection from something the things the texts that people be maybe more familiar with to some of the concepts and principles that you're talking about now how 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 in how many minutes would you like me to try to do that Judy? just just keep chatting well there's a couple of things come to mind. So, so one would just be, let's say a person has a so-called physical yoga practice. They do yoga asana. And let's say um, that person has been practicing, for example, Ashtanga Vinyasa for some time. And so the person is familiar with Sri Namaskar and the, the, standing, those, the triangle posture, for example. So the triangle posture, I don't know how many times you know you've done it, Judy, or I've done it. I can't count, but it has within it all of this space for exploration, all of this space for experimentation. Now, when one begins, one is likely to be instructed in that posture in many different ways by different people, because it's a posture that has many micro variants do i do it from the ground up do i do it from the top down do i do it with a slightly wider or narrower stance what am i emphasizing in the posture there's so many ways that we can understand this posture. it's three corners it's, it's it's a posture that uses this magic number three three the number that is so intrinsic to life so yoga says ultimately everything is one we live in a realm of birth and death, of night and day, summer and winter, duality. But it's not a binary reality, because between the day and the night, we've got the sunrise and the sunset. Life is gray. And so as soon as we come into the realm of duality, we have the subject and the object and the seeing in between them. So as soon as there is another, there's actually three, because there's this and that and the thing between them. I think that allows this to perceive that, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. Yeah. So when we're in the realm of three, this is trikonasana. This is a posture of three, which is the number of stability. It's the number that allows things to grow, allows things to change. So this in and of itself is this amazing arena for exploration. Now, one might go to some great, great teacher, really excellent teacher, and they tell you it like this, I'll give it like this, and it feels great. But then you go to some other teacher, great teacher, they've been teaching for 45 years, they tell you to do it in a completely different way, and it also feels great. And then you go to another class, and you realize, oh, I'm doing it differently than I've done before, but it also feels good. And you realize, hmm, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's, the, 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 it's not about the particular way I do it. It's more about what is this posture allowing me to experience? And then comes this moment where I become the author of my own yogasana. So the different teachers, the different structures, the different sequences, whatever, they allow us to begin to gain some understanding of the richness of the field that this posture provides for exploration. Once I start to take responsibility for my own well-being, my own education, my own insight within that posture, what happens to my self-esteem and my self-trust? I'm no longer dependent on being told what to do, and I'm actually rehabilitating my relationship to my own body and its intelligence. The body's intelligence which is often so much vaster than the mind is able to recognize. So when I start to practice, I can start to deepen my self-trust. I can start to deepen my self-reliance. And that happens when I make that step from following the teacher to exploring within the guidance of the teacher and then taking what I've learned from the class, the teacher, the structure, and being my own adventurer, my own seeker. And then steadily, 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 patiently, step by patient step, I start to empower myself to be less dependent on what others tell me to do and more attuned to that inner compass, that inner guidance. And the other thing I was gonna say as an example, is you mentioned the Bhagavad Gita. And so Gita means song. Now, singing is one of my favorite styles of yoga practice. But singing is also so intrinsic to our evolution. Many, I don't know, but many people suggest that singing is the source of our language, that we sang before we developed complicated language and we, we made grunts, then we made, then we started singing to communicate. Just by making sounds, we can communicate a lot. And wherever we are on the globe, you know, sometimes people talk about, oh, this culture has this, this culture has that. But everywhere on the globe, we are all descended from people who sang together, who danced together. If you're from the coldest place, the warmest place, this is part of the culture. Some parts of the world, you can still see it very much alive. But even in the west of Scotland or the North Yorkshire, we are descended from people who sang and danced together. So when we sing, what happens? Singing, the whole field vibrates. And yoga is about bringing the whole field into togetherness and balance and harmony. So Bhagavan means totality or the supreme reality. 
This refers to the teaching in the Gita, Krishna, but Krishna is teaching us how to make the whole field sing, how to bring the whole thing into harmony. Where does the Gita begin? Arjuna, the student, does not know what to do. He's come to a situation in which the rules he's relied on up to now no longer are adequate for the situation he finds himself in. What does that sound like? That sounds like the world that we see around us right now. What was normal? What was easy? What was just, oh, I'll just keep doing this? No, 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 no. That was a delusion. And it is a delusion because life is always going to change. This is what we can be sure of. We're born, we're going to die, and in between, change. We human beings, we like things to be sure, but this is just, you know, this is the kind of, uh, this is the play. This is the whole fun of the game, according to yoga. No, this is where it all begins, all the fun. Once we acknowledge that life is not always easy because life is going to challenge us, but the whole point of the challenge is for us to become and recognize who we really are and what we're really made of. So Arjuna, at the beginning of the Gita, how is the situation? It's the most stressful situation imaginable. He's going to war, and on both sides of the battlefield are the people that are nearest and dearest to him. So he doesn't see any way that it can possibly go well. That's where the most treasured teaching of the old tradition is given. And this reminds us, no situation is a barrier to yoga. And obstacles are actually opportunities. And when we feel our world is falling apart, one of my Indian teachers says, this is great news. <laughs> now you have the chance to reconfigure <laughs> things in a way that's actually more in keeping with who you really are. So um, for me, the Yoga Sutra, the Bhagavad Gita, they are so practical. And so what I, all my classes, courses, workshops, whatever it might be, it's infused with this basic um, aim. It's to let's empower ourselves as best we possibly can by familiarizing ourselves with these robust, time-tested resources that are part of our human heritage. As human beings, we are the beneficiaries of so much amazing work on the part of our ancestors. And we also have inherited some things that, we, that they've left us with certain challenges. But there's so much support that we have available if we choose to work with it. And so the work that I've been trying to share, it's about just do, doing my best to, to make more available some of these resources that they've been tremendously helpful for me and, and many other people have said they are for them too. Absolutely. And, and I just feel you know that, like for example, I went to school, I, I, I did well at school more or less, and I went to university and did well there, but it didn't equip me for life at all. In some ways, let me be not too, too extreme. Some things were very useful. Some things were taught well. Some things were an empowerment, but also many things got really denied, shut down, repressed, ignored during all those years of formation. And I realized I need to reform myself. I need to renovate my understanding of who I am and how I actually am part of this amazing existence, which is so dynamic. And that's what yoga is about. It's like, how can I come to dynamic equilibrium? It's not like coming to some fixed point, now I've got it. No, no, no. 
you know, yoga is not a quick fix. It's not a life hack. It's something that we do, something that we work with all life long. Like a discipline, like we mentioned, going back to the idea of song and music, like a great musician, they, they sing, they practice their instrument every day, not because they have to, but because it's a beautiful thing. It makes life sweeter, richer, fuller. And so the same idea, once we start to become a real apprentice of yoga technique and practice, we can become kind of like the musician. We can use the techniques, we can use the tools that the system offers us to help us express ourselves more beautifully and in ways that are more nourishing. And that takes practice. I think that's a really good place to hit pause. I'm going to press pause. Okay. And I really hope that you're going to come back so that we can continue this conversation. Sure. Just in, in the way of yoga being the long game. It's not a quick Definitely. fix. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, I'd love to, to have more of these conversations and, and start to unpack and, and let people see that, that actually it's all yoga. It's not their class that's here, their fusty yoga philosophy books that's over here. <laughs> that actually it's all the ones. So James, thank you so much for thank spending you having me, Judy. Yeah, always a pleasure. Time. And um, yeah, I look forward to the, the next one. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, let me just cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to get you a chai the next time. We do it if we do it in person, James. Uh, okay, but I can like, I can, can also make can sit on the sofa. Indian. Sit drink. on the sofa, yeah. get some chai going. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our chat. If you've got any questions, you can email me or find us on social media. I'll see you here next time.